Welcome to the Big Hit Podcast, a collaboration between Scottish Fencing and the Fencing Podcast. It's Kate here, and in today's episode, I sat down and spoke to Georgina Usher, British Fencing's CEO and British and Scottish fencer extraordinaire with accomplishments from British champion, Commonwealth champion and European champion. I really enjoyed talking to Georgina about her journey and she reflected on her career as a fencer, the success as well as dealing with challenges, but all the while never forgetting her passion for the sport. I hope you enjoy this episode and can even take something away from it. I know I did. Please don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on all our social medias. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. So without further ado, here's Georgina. Hi, Georgina, and thank you for coming on to the podcast today. Thanks very much. Happy to have you. you. Thank you, thank you. I'm I'm doing all right. (laughs) I'm okay. How are you? Very well, thank you. So I'm going to start off. So you are the British Fencing CEO, but today we're just talking you as a fencer, no, not CEO Georgina with Fencer Fencer. Fencer Georgina today. Exactly, or Georgie Fencer as my uh, my email address. (laughs) So it's a basic question, um, but everyone's story is a little bit different. So how did you get into fencing? What led you into fencing? So, yeah, I, I'd, I'd like to say that somehow the thought of fencing, um, you know, whether it was Star Wars or Zorro, meant that one morning I woke up and I thought that, you know, it was my life's passion and dream. But the reality is somewhat more boring in as much as... Um, my mum didn't like coming and picking us up from school because we lived quite away from the school and the longer we stayed at school the better I think and fencing was one of those after school activities which kept us in school Uh, and I think the other options those days were hockey and lacrosse and neither of those were particularly attractive particularly in Scotland where it was cold and wet and miserable outside (laughs) so that that's how I find myself probably being signed up for fencing by my parents yeah I know you said before that you found it quite a good sport as a girl who wasn't into other sports as well. You found it, especially the uniform, putting on a mask, having the the set kit to wear as well. Yeah, so I think when I think back to myself when I was age I was 11 or 12, so a lot of people think, oh, you must have started fencing when you were five and, mm-hmm. and you know, done it your entire life. But I, I'll say to my daughter... Um, who's only a little bit older than that now you know I only picked up a sword when I was 11 and um, and at that time I was very tall and and you know me Kate I'm I'm, I'm, I say I'm just under six foot and now shrinking Uh, but (laughs) but I was I was pretty tall I was pretty much that height at that age and not particularly able to control my body which must have been extremely frustrating for various uh PE teachers at school because I couldn't really run or jump very well you know you're tall you must be able to do the high jump the long jump uh that was not happening for me and and I think being that kind of height at that age I was also very very spotty and I had very lovely NHS fit glasses (laughs) I was incredibly self-conscious and of course Mm -hmm. I stood out always felt I stood out because I was at least a head higher than anyone else in my year and yes, and as you rightly say, being able to go into fencing, it was a very non-judgmental environment. And I put on a mask so no one needs to, to look at me and I felt sort of protected from people staring at me. Of course, when everybody takes up fencing, everybody's quite rubbish. Yeah. And nobody <laughs> minds if you're rubbish because 
unlike when someone passes you a ball at netball and screams at you to score a goal because you happen to be tall and standing near the net. Actually, if you're rubbish at fencing, everyone else beats you and therefore they don't particularly mind that you're not very good. So you don't feel like you're letting down a team by not being able to do the sport as well as the person that you're playing with. So I think that, yeah. that you know, the summary of that is that I always say fencing just gave me a release from being me. And as you say, you put yeah. on the mask, you put on the clothes and you don't have you don't. I didn't feel people looking at me or expecting anything from me. And I just was able to, oddly enough, be a bit more myself. And we had a lovely, lovely coach, Jean McClardy, who was just so patient and kind I, I think back and I, I, I can only imagine what she must have had to endure to teach me how to lunge. <laughs> and, and coaches subsequent to that will, will, will understand how difficult that was. I, again, I'm <laughs> not sure I managed that until quite late on in my career to do a half-decent lunge. But she, w- she was unbelievably lovely and patient and inspired a real love of the sport. And I think that I, I feel very blessed that my first experience was fencing was not one where I was required to perform. My I was mm-hmm. quite useless um, for a number of years at foil, uh, and and it was you know it wasn't a problem. I didn't have my parents saying, oh you know what a waste of your time. You're not winning or whatever. It was just I, I merrily turned up to Birmingham High School. Uh, I remember frequently getting beaten by Joe Walton. Of course, he's uh, now married to Keith. And um, and in those days, they used to like to give out prizes as well if you didn't win. Um, and I didn't get any of those prizes either. So you know, oh. you'd, get, you'd get kind of, you know, first, second, third, a style prize, a something else prize. And, and then there was me. Um, but I, I don't think and I don't remember it being particularly bothering me. But uh, my mother mm-hmm. always begs to differ on that one. She said I, I, I did get frustrated <laughs> when I didn't win. Yeah, I think people forget sometimes you have they started and they thought oh they just wanted to win but sometimes it's that element of fun that people forget that was having fun I forget that sometimes competing as well I think you're spot on and again I feel really lucky that I had lots of moments of fun Um, one of my other memories is going down to Meadowbank Fencing Club and Donnie McKenzie was coaching there at the time and a few others and I think by that stage I had moved on to Epe but even so, I think I spent a large chunk of the fencing evening in the cafeteria. Um, and again, you know, nobody gave me a hard time about that. And probably my parents were pleased that I was out of the house <laughs> in the evening again. So running theme on that one. And my brother, obviously, you know, was by that stage doing the sport as well. But we very much were allowed to enjoy. I mean, social is possibly a, a step too far, but it's the other aspect. You know, kids just want to be kids and turn up and have a bit of a laugh. And frankly, yeah. at the start, if they learn anything, I always think that's a bit of a bonus because the most important thing, if you want to carry on doing a sport, is you're enjoying yourself. And if enjoying yourself means sneaking off to the cafeteria for a slushy or whatever it is, then, you know, you, you kind of go, well, what's, what's the harm in it other than the rotten teeth? Mm-hmm. But we managed to avoid yeah. that. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's the thing about fencing. If you went to a football club and there's 30 kids, you might just have a, a class of five. And Yeah, absolutely. And certainly I think everybody will always remember their fencing trips with, with the... And particularly when you come out from Scotland, when you travel, you really, and you go to the big competitions, you know, it's a really kind of big exercise. You'll pile into a car, fit as many fencing bags and people as you can in to make it cheap. At the time when we did those trips, that was 
Patsy ending up with most of the driving, Patsy Nichols. And uh, honestly, I, I think back to the noise that must have accompanied those trips down when there would have been Patsy <laughs> and four or five. Um, and I would have been the smallest because, of course, there was my brother and a few other the male epiasts all squeezing into Patsy's car and, and Patsy would sort of, you know, uh, drive uh, straight down the uh, A roads and the motorways off to whether it was Bristol or the Welsh. Uh, but I always remember, again, you know, I'd turn up, I would often, when I started, I'd be lucky if I won a fight in the first round, and then we would, I'd hang around for most of the day until we got to some of the finals, and mm-hmm. um, some of the guys would have done a, a lot better, and then we all piled in the car and drove all the way home, arriving at some ungodly hour in the morning. But again, it was, and this was the thing, you know, Patsy made it fun, and that's what's so important. It just keeps you going. It didn't really matter to me too much. Or obviously, if it did, I was enjoying it too much to give up just because I wasn't winning. Just a bit of fun to Commonwealth champions, British champions. and I mean, I'm assuming they didn't have high performance platforms or things. No. <laughs> so, you know, it's such a good question because I think back to school I often think it would be so interesting to interview other people because, of course, there's my memories of how I feel. And then, of course, there's my mother's memories of, of perhaps how angry I was when I didn't came home and didn't win something. And Patsy's memories of probably me having a fit at the end of the piece if, if <laughs> things didn't go my way. But I think so I when I started doing EPE, it was with actually with Jean McClardy, I think it was the first epi lesson she had ever given, was the first epi lesson that I'd ever received. And back in those days, you weren't allowed to do epi until you were 15. So I was, I think I was 14 when I had my first epi lesson. So I wasn't allowed to compete. And I suppose in back in those days, it was obviously maybe that, you know, women were possibly too weak to uh, pens epi. I say that sarcastically, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) and, And so when I did switch to epi, Clearly, my height did give me an advantage and my natural tendency to stick my arm out and uh, stop hit every time someone comes towards me, which is utterly pointless in foil, actually was quite <laughs> a useful, um, useful move in Epe. And so then I started doing better. So going into Epe competitions and doing quite well and um, and I was, you know, I was really fortunate in those days. There was a, a, a lovely group of epists, including Karen Grant, for example, who really made me feel kind of very welcome and included into that sort of Scottish senior women's epi team, even though it was very small and kind of just really forming as women's epi was taking off. And, you know, winning at that point, it, it, it sounds weird. You sort of fall naturally into doing well and, and, still at that point I hadn't really thought oh this is the thing I want to do this is the thing I want to get really good at you just kind of as a young kid I guess finding myself good at something and enjoying it Mm -hmm. I think that was the key and it was really I would say only oddly enough for me that the turning point when I got really serious and that's the difference between doing a sport because you love it and you want to get good at it and what I would call training to be good domestically you know I want to win the nationals or you know do really well in the um what in those days called the quadrangular Scotland England Northern Ireland Wales matches things like that that's that's the sort of way you're looking at. and then suddenly you think actually and you might be doing a bit of internationals but the point at which I thought hang on a second you know I want to really 
think about how I, I, I perform was actually it was only when I graduated from university and started my um, first what I call proper job and <laughs> was not enjoying that at all and had a bit of a, a moment where I thought well you know is, is, is this kind of you know like going to be the rest of my life working all hours in an office and you know what's the point in that and the thought to myself at that point was and, and it's quite a kind of morbid thought, but you thought, well, you know, if, if, if my life was, 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 was all to, to, to end tomorrow, it, have I done the things that, you know, do I do what I love doing? And of course, at that stage, I was like, well, clearly not, because, you know, I love fencing, yeah. but I've never throughout my life thought, you know what, I'm going to do it seriously. It's always been the and. You know, I go to school, do, you know, do my A-levels and do my fencing, go to university and do my fencing, work and do my fencing. So it's always been that, which is so important in fencing because you do need that dual career, that ability to balance your fencing life with other things that are going on because, um, you know, regrettably no one's ever going to come with a large pile of cash and say, that's it, you can earn a living by just yeah. being a professional fencer, <laughs> at least not in this country. Um, I know, yeah, exactly. Um so, so when I kind of thought, you know what, I I really want to to see how good I could be, and at that question, it, it at that time it was there was this curiosity. I didn't. A lot of people talk to me about not making it to the Olympics, and and of course that's a huge kind of failure if you think, oh well, I you know, for age eleven I set out, set out to make it to the Olympics and I failed. I think, well, that that's not the story of my life. The the story, you know, at age 11, I had no concept that, and you know, I think I would have looked blankly at someone had they ever suggested that I might have got even close to achieving what I have achieved at the end of my career. But even when I made the decision to want to see how good I could be, that was the question I was asking myself. I wasn't saying, well, I'm going to focus on the Olympics, I'm going to get to the Olympics, I'm going to do everything I can to get to the Olympics. I was sitting there going, I have never really focused on trying to make myself the best fencer I could be so I don't know how good I could be so that's a question that you either explore or you spend the rest of your life and I think by that stage you know I ended up I met people who did all sorts of other sports and it's very interesting meeting people in your early 20s because there's so many people who who could have been good I could have been good you know I was this Mm -hmm. this and this you know I met somebody who said oh I I could have you know I could have played cricket for England but, you know, I, I, I didn't. It's almost as if I didn't try. And, of course, for me, I was yeah. like, well, I want to try and, and find out because I might not. But there's a there's a um, you know, of course, there's a fear in that decision because, you know, as I said, people I tried and one might say, well, that was a waste of time because you failed. But even knowing what I that I was going to fail, if someone said, would you do it again? I would do it again in a heartbeat because. I looking back on that time I feel so lucky that I was able to in my early 20s earn enough money so I I then said okay if I want to go full-time I'm gonna have to go change my job earn more money save more money and plan this properly so it became so I became my own little sort of you know if you like performance program said right I'm gonna need nutritionist I'm gonna need a physio I'm gonna need this so it starts so you collect a group of people around you and and I was so fortunate to meet some, you know, fantastic people, both with inside fencing and outside of fencing that were willing to support me on that journey. And so many of them gave their time for free or at hugely discounted professional rates. And there was sort of this kind of mini team. And yeah. 
and a sort of mini program, but but run by me on behalf of me. <laughs> and and of course, part of my program was, as you know, um, moving to Hungary for a few years, um, where I uh, was based, and and also that was just an incredible experience. And I got to fence and train with some, you know, some of the world's best female epis, and it really was. Um, such a such a pleasure and something that is very hard to describe but so like anybody who loves sport and loves doing sport will know that to be given that opportunity to train with the very best in the world is something you'd all jump at and something that I'll remember for the rest of my life it's such a good goal to have because actually you don't know what that end result could be and it could be and I, I think that that giving I think that giving up at that time because I'd already started work I was so conscious of what I was giving up to invest in my fencing so I was at the time thinking if I was where I was working in consultancy but you know you work for clients and you think well hang on a second so every day I go to work and I do the best that I can for the for the clients that I'm working for or for my boss or anything else and in doing that it, I'm helping someone else aren't I? I'm helping their business or, or, or their company and and then when you then don't do that, every day you're waking up, you're working for yourself. In my mind, I was like, I'm now a professional for myself. So if I don't, you know, it's really hard. I hate getting up in the mornings, as anyone will attest, testify to. But but you kind of go, well, if I'm prepared to do that, to get up, to go to work for someone else in a job or an industry that I'm not passionate about, then when it comes to motivating myself to get out of bed for my own fencing career, I really put those kind of professional standards on myself because I'm like, I don't, I don't. And I was a little bit older. So I don't thought I don't have time to waste here. This is not me aged kind of 14, 15, where I've got a huge kind of you know, another 10 years stretching out of me. I was in my mid to late 20s going, we need, we've got some catch up time to do. So every mm-hmm. every morning that you don't get up and go training or do something that's part of your overall plan to get better is almost like, you know, there's this little, the sands of time are running. Um, and I think for me, that was looking back, it was important part of how I motiv- motivated myself when I was very much on my own doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do remember some people saying, what on earth did you do with your time? You know, weren't you lonely or how can you just go and live in a foreign country and you don't know anybody and you're flat on your own. And, I think that most people who train a lot in fencing realise there are that they're just there are never enough hours in the day anyway, because by the time you get up at sort of six, six thirty in the morning, you go for a run, you have a lesson, you do your weight, you do your footwork, have a bit of a lunch, a nap, and then club sparring starting about sort of four thirty, five o'clock, which is kind of the time it starts in Hungary, and that's you till about seven thirty, eight o'clock, which is shower, change, dinner and bed, and it all starts again the next day. So there there isn't an awful lot of free time except for the weekends um and in those days there was no real well there was there was the internet and now I'm starting to show my age but <laughs> it was the internet cafe so you would go along and you would pay for an hour to check your emails and to sort of be in touch and um and I watched an awful lot. I went to the cinema an awful lot with my weekends in Budapest. It was very cheap to go to the cinema, so I watched a lot of terrible movies. Um, and But I don't... I guess looking back on it, and even as I was going 
through it, it never seemed like a hardship and it never seemed hard. And I think it's back down to the, the passion I had for the sport. And that's for me why it's so important that when I look at young kids coming into fencing and I do a little bit of coaching on a Saturday morning sometimes, that I think the most important thing to give kids is that love and that passion because that's the thing that does get you up in the morning and then it's a joy and it's a pleasure. And of course there are hard times where it gets to eight o'clock at night and you're exhausted and knackered and you've lost all your bouts and you actually feel that you're wasting your time. And, uh, you know, and th- those are tough times, but they're tough times wherever you are, whether you're on your own in a, in a flat in Budapest or whether you're, um, you know, stuck in London or it doesn't matter where you are when things don't go well in training, it, it's, it's not much fun. But what I would say is the the love of fencing and the joy that I got by through, from my lessons and from being able to spar with some incredible people on a daily basis motivated me and, and kept me going. Just professionally based, are you still doing some fencing or not? <sighs> so I wish I oh I miss my fencing so much. I've had about the last the last three or four years I've had had really bad back pain and I'm trying to get that fixed um so my body's kind of breaking down I think that's partly <laughs> partly what I would say is partly my height um and sort of various challenges with a very long back I think a slightly slightly abnormally long spine so I really miss actually fencing and it is my goal to to get back fencing somehow but at the moment I think what I'd call my exercise regime is somewhat um somewhat like a rehab process a very long drawn out one and um yeah and and I think it's it's strange being in lockdown as as we are now because of course there is no opportunity to go out and fence people so I am just taking this time to again do more kind of the exercises that I hope will will mean that that back pain will will be a bit better and I can go back to fencing myself and as you said, I do occasionally do do some coaching on a Saturday morning. Um, I really enjoy that. It's absolutely it's so much fun um, coaching young kids, and we're we're not we're not about to enter any performance competitions. But it, it's and the lovely thing about fencing is you can see the um, the passion on on their faces when when. I guess that tactical penny drop sometimes because it's all this game of cat and mouse that you get in fencing and this ability to trap your opponent into doing something that you wanted them to do. And those, that area and element, I think, of the sport really works well with young kids if you can find a way of getting it across them because nobody wants to spend 10 minutes doing kind of repetitive footwork uh, if you're 12 that's just a bit boring whereas and we've all been there exactly you know bend bend the knees bend the knees um and and so so I I take it as a kind of personal challenge in every session that we do is to try and explain to them the the tactical application of what we're learning about and try and put that gaming element in and try and give them the choices and the control over what they're doing and how they're training and and for me, giving them the ability to take it as far as they want to. You know, if you want to explore yeah. how good you could be at this, you could do this if you want to. But equally, it's also perfectly OK if you don't, because this is the other thing. Not everybody wants to be 
kind of you know a championship fencer or to put and I think this is it you know I mean maybe everyone might want to be but there just has to be that sensible conversation that says well look if you can spend this much time and effort on fencing and and everything around it then you will have a chance but for many people they can't so they love fencing but they might only be able to get to a club a couple of times a week and get to the gym a couple of times a week and that's not going to end up in 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 a fencer going off to an international and being you know being able to beat other top international fencers but it doesn't make them any kind of um I, I think what what we have to do as coaches is recognize where everybody's at and give them the best session that we possibly can but work with them to understand where their goals are and whether, whether their goals are in line with their ability to um you know to, to what they can give to the sport just want to be swashbuckling pirates exactly. especially if you do saber they all just want to be pirates. exactly so you could have lots of lots of games with pirates in and 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 as a sport you know we need more people in and who just love fencing because there's lots of as we know that you know there's lots of opportunities in fencing not just to have fun down clubs but also people move into refereeing or they might sort of support clubs and work at work as a whole kind of volunteer base which is just and now I'm starting to obviously start to sound like a bit more my chief exec aren't I hat on <laughs> but if I think back to where I got to with my fencing so many of my memories and stories are around the coaches the volunteers who put on competitions in Scotland the people who gave their time generously to probably spend an entire weekend in Burmuir High School um, laying out spools and boxes and without people who are doing that then people like me don't get to stand on a podium and have a medal put around their neck and it's so important that we 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 really um kind of appreciate that element of of what is happening at grassroots sport and I mean I certainly when I look back I think only only particularly in fencing you know only one person stands there in an individual event with a medal around their neck but god there would be no room in the sports hall for every single person that I would have to go around and say thank you to for me being there yeah I think you're right as well and the and the pizza restaurants and I remember a lot yeah. of, for some reason a lot of nights out a lot of pizza restaurants everywhere you go it seemed to be everywhere you went around Europe the night before before fencing competitions you'd always end up in an Italian restaurant and so I remember a lot of a lot of pizzas and pasta and you do you re, you remember the fun times they're so important yeah the tactics or the styles or there's a element of it that's different. I mean, I look at the fencing today and I, I, I'm constantly going, wow, this is just amazing. It is faster. It is more exciting. It's across the weapons. I mean, I still don't entirely know what's going on women's saber, but it looks amazing. And, and, <laughs> but it, it's, it's just incredible the way that the, you know all of the six weapons have developed into what I would say I mean it's hard to say professional because of course we you know looking back I don't don't want to take away anything that any of us did and so many of the countries were taking it you know did have professional systems wrapped around them but I think when you look at um, um, you know elite programs across the world and in fencing the you look at fencers now and they are you know the, these guys are incredible athletes 
first and foremost, they're incredible athletes. And, and we know that just doesn't come from a few lessons a week and doing a bit of sparring. There is so much development and time spent on so many aspects and it has been done by not just the, the top nations, but all of the, and, and it's, it's the marvelous thing about the internet and everything else that, that everybody's knowledge about what it takes to be good. Um, it's all out there. It's all available. And mm-hmm. it is so much, in my view, if, if looking back, you know, I often think, God, if, if I did that again, would I, would I be as good? And the answer is, you know, no, what, what would I have had to done different? I would have had to do, I would have had to do more um, or, and you know, and the question is train smarter, not harder. There's an element of that because of course there are only so many hours in a day and, and fencing for all of them is not advisable. But what I would say is it is that it, it has changed. It has changed because so many more of the, many more athletes are, um, well, exactly. They are athletes. Whereas when, even when Epi and, and, you know, you know, women's saber first started, you you might get people who consider themselves fencers and hadn't really embraced what the life of an athlete looks like. Do you know what? I sometimes think the, I think age 11, I was lucky because I probably wouldn't, I, you know, Jean McClure, and I've talked about her before, but she was doing everything right. You know, I wouldn't have, at that point, I wasn't really thinking about my fencing and and I think if anybody had come and told me where my fencing career might have got me to, I think I might have had a bit of a fright. Um, and, and, or it would have put me under tremendous pressure, you know. So, so, so going to someone, and um, although I do always remember, I was thought of Bert Bracewell, who also gave me lessons, I always thought he was amazing because he was always so supportive. Every kid that he gave lessons to, he said, oh, you could be a champion. And he went, oh, could I, could I? But he did it in such a nice way. It wasn't a kind of like, oh, you must train and you, you know, you must. It was like, oh, you know, if you work hard. And that was the thing, he always linked it to working hard. So, and that's, you know, and, and we know that if you work hard, there is always the opportunity in fencing to be really good. It does come with hard work. Um, and so I think 11, I probably would have just left myself alone a little bit. I don't think I would have, as an 11 year old, taken any advice, particularly not from, from, an old lady my age I think later later on you know you kind of go would I have and I often reflect on the fact that it took me I mean a a, a horrible number of commonwealths before I finally won and I won the commonwealths coming out of retirement for at least the second if not third time having had two kids and then the question is okay so why I wasn't I was a much better fencer before, so why did I, you know, why did that take long? And I think probably the advice I would have wanted to have given myself is the is as I took it more seriously, is to retain, is to really focus on the fact that I mean I still had the passion, but also just there probably still was an element of performance anxiety around winning. So I had given up so much. I gave up my job and I moved to Hungary and I gave up my friends. I didn't see my family. And so for all of the fact that I enjoyed it and I loved it, there was that undercurrent of pressure that I never really, um, well, I think it must have affected my performance. And it was only then having had children and coming back where actually I remember even on the, on the day of fencing, I'm a bit more 
kind of you know the back of my mind are the kids getting fed are they okay <laughs> you know you know my number one thought waking up in the morning is not about me and my fencing it's about the kids or something else and what that definitely did do it just it gives you that tiny little bit of perspective and it's just an interesting question for me that that then would I go back and say to myself you know yes you've given up everything yes you've thrown yourself full time should should I have how could I have got that perspective into my life where I didn't just see perhaps at the time um, maybe the performance as being the be all and end all around that you want to stay in the sport full time great I think definitely having perspective I found exactly so yeah I think that 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 would be the lovely thing to bottle up wouldn't it to be just that little (laughs) perspective and and it is tough because I'm sure that if I went and told myself you know the performances and everything I probably would have gone no it is it is and and you just can't contemplate what what life with failure because then having and I do remember that when I didn't qualify for the Olympics back in I don't remember 2000 (laughs) that was that was horrible that was absolutely awful and it was in this rundown hall in Armenia and we turned up and there were no clocks so we were fencing with they got out some chess clocks and I don't know if you know what an old-fashioned chess clock looks like it's like an alarm clock but somebody clicks you can't read the time and of course it's not in these you know and even it I mean I would say even in those days most most proper fencing equipment had clocks that automatically cut the timings off um and you know, and that was the Olympic qualifier, and I lost in a very close match, and that was, you know, very very. You know, it, was, it was awful at the time. But then my perspective on it is probably that was probably the worst thing that had happened to me. And then you think, gosh, what a for-, looking back on it now, I think, oh, what a fortunate life I've led. That's the worst thing that's happened to you in your life. And of course, you you only perhaps get some of that perspective, or I've only really got it having had children and then you think of all the other you know life and the bigger context of life and the bad you know as you say you know the world's coming to an end well it's not really losing a fencing yeah. match is it you know it's not very nice but it, but it's probably the, the question is around in the lead up then to that so prior prior to going to that competition and and the whole build up to when you're trying to to qualify for something like the olympics clearly despite the fact I went on the journey with the curiosity around how good I wanted to be and it wasn't you know the absolute sort of it wasn't the goal at the start at some point you you take on those goals don't you You decide right now I'm now I want to win the nationals or qualify for this or, or whatever it is that you take on and I just feel that I could have um I, I don't know prepared myself just that little bit better for failure and if I'd just done that a little bit better perhaps I wouldn't have had the fear of failure which which may have contributed oddly enough then to living out then losing um and and for me I think that was the real difference that when I then went to the Commonwealth I had no fear of failure and in fact had every expectation that I wasn't (laughs) going to win which of course is an incredibly liberating way to enter a competition because, and, and whilst I would say that I'm not entirely sure that other people, I, I suspect other people's expectations on me were far greater than my expectations of myself. But also when you're older, you kind of care less sometimes what people's expectations are. So when I was younger, people going, oh, well, we're expecting you to win, Georgina, expecting you to do this. And, and perhaps even if it's not articulated, it's felt 
again, you get a bit older and it, I don't really feel them so much, whether they're there or not. And even if someone does articulate an expectation of me, I'm like, oh, you know, it doesn't matter. I, it's not going to make me, I don't really, it doesn't make me feel more anxious that you, Kate, are telling me you're expecting to win this next farm. I'm like, yeah, you know, that's fine. Whereas being younger, again, I'm, I might feel that pressure from my teammates or the coaches to deliver a result that they think I'm capable of, even if inside my head, I don't believe I'm capable of at that time. 